Welcome to the X-Men Task Podcast. My name is Willie Simpson. I'm Sonia Rappaport. And today, Sonia, we are still in Season 4 with the 15th episode of that season, the 62nd episode overall, Secrets Not Long Buried. Mm-hmm. Another Cyclops semi-origin story. Yeah. Do you know, like, how does this episode square with the other origin story that we saw where he was in an orphanage? Is this, like... Subsequent to that orphanage, he moved to a different one, or is it like a different timeline or something? Do you know? I don't think it's a different timeline. I think it's it must be a subsequent orphanage to the one we saw in the uh, the previous episode in season three, which okay. delved into his backstory a bit. Uh, here, this orphanage is in Skull Mesa, so somewhere in the southwest. Yeah. Um, I, you know, traditionally, Cyclops is an orphan in Alaska. Right. Under the strict control of Mr. Sinister doing experiments on him and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. In the show, it's a little bit more random. You know, I though I think uh I think generally Cyclops as a as a young boy slash teenager bounced around from orphanage to orphanage. Yeah. So he was unwanted. So maybe that reflects uh what's going on here. Okay. But um, we saw a lot of arches. It looked like it was Utah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, so, uh, like I said, it, it opens in this place called Skull Mesa. Cyclops is flying around in his uh, X-Mini jet. And this is, uh, uh, spoilers, this is entirely a Cyclops solo episode. Mm-hmm. I think we see a brief appearance by F- Professor X. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's pretty much it. So, another solo Cyclops adventure. Um, and... So he's flying around looking for this guy named Dr. Taylor Prescott, who seems to be a precursor to Professor X. Yes. Although he is not himself a mutant. Oh, he's not? It doesn't seem so. I think he's just a human. Oh. He's just a really nice doctor man. It seems like him and Professor X could have really, like, gotten together, you know, like... Well, it seems like they academically. met... Academically. Right, yeah. It seems like they met in the episode. Right. They, uh, they have a relationship, um... You know, I guess Professor X can't be everywhere all across the country for all mutants. Yeah, right. So, you know, there's people with satellite interests or parallel interests to Professor X in different parts of the country. This Dr. Prescott guy uh, seems to be one of them. So he basically runs a community uh, which safe harbors mutants of all ages and allows them to live peacefully. Yeah. Um, but uh, things are not all they seem, as we quickly discover. Mm-hmm. So Cyclops, like we said, he's flying around in his uh, mini X-Jet plane. Uh, he's flashing back on some memories of his childhood. Uh, we actually see, at one point, we see this Dr. Prescott in the X-Mansion with some of his mutant disciples. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they have got some nice friendly powers, like one kid turns a plant into rainbow light. Yeah. And another girl, like, grows... Like, crystals out of the ground. Right. Yeah, that's cool. And then we see Cyclops in his classic 1963 X-Men outfit, which I don't think has been the first time we've seen that in the show, but it's always cool to see. Uh Uh-huh. You know, he's in his original X-Gear, and, you know, he's he's sort of helpfully blasting the girl's crystals that she's growing on Professor X's floor. Mm. So, um, you know, it seems like this Dr. Prescott's a good guy, but... Out of nowhere, his uh, his X ship uh, like goes down. I forget uh, if it was exploded out of the air or they just shut down its systems. Anyway, it's a crash landing. It's pretty violent. Yeah. And Cyclops uh, ejects out of the plane. Yeah. To safety. Like a weird. Like his whole chair ejects and it has a parachute is, att- is attached that, to it. Is that what? Is that normal? I think so. With jet fighters. Oh yeah, maybe. I think you do get ejected from your seat. 
I don't think like, the, the, you seat. have to because it's not like there's not a spring in a seat that. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> it's not like Looney Tunes. Yeah, right. but you're right. It did seem kind of weird to see that. Um, so and then it's like this dog mutant is in some kind of secret military installation. He's the one behind blasting Cyclops out of the sky. Uh huh. And and like he weirdly has a very friendly human voice. Yeah. Um, it turns out this character's name is Watchdog, believe it or not. Yeah. And, uh... Hell on the nose. Yeah, he seems like a... I don't know what his powers are, but uh, he seems to be one of these technological mutants that runs things. Mm -hmm. Um, but, I don't know, I just think, when you get mutants like Watchdog, you wonder what their deal is. In the sense, are they born looking like a dog? Or are so they, they mutate into looking like a dog? Right, when they become a teenager. I, yeah, I, would, I would think in the case of some mutants, they're born looking the way they do. Because I know Nightcrawler as a baby mm-hmm. came out with blue fur and a tail. Yeah. And uh, I think that's probably the case with Mystique as well. She came out looking weird. But not Beast. Yeah, but, well, Beast, yeah, Beast transformed himself. Yeah. So, I just think it's a strange, like, that's got to be, that's, see, there's so many movies you can make about the X-Men, just, like, from any angle. Uh-huh. And like I said, it, it, I, I actually want to see an HBO series X-Men show, because there's just so many, like, stories you could tell of just, here you are, a happy couple at the hospital giving birth, and then a dog comes out. <laughs> <laughs> Which is real, I don't know. Surprise. Yeah. It's like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I guess I, that they would have an ultrasound or something. It's like, well, you have a dog growing in you. I guess, yeah. I mean, if you are Watchdog, like, it doesn't even really matter if you have other mutant powers or not, I yeah. think, right? I, he it's probably like, does, but... You are a mutant, and, like, that's going to be how you identify your whole life, and, like, maybe he's, like, extra strong or, like, runs fast or something also, yeah. but, like... Right. smells or sees better. Right, something, but, like, you know, you're... It, he he's a likely candidate to like live in an all mutant community and yeah. <laughs> like further the cause of like mutant peace everywhere, you know. Or want a lot of privacy. Right. Because yes. he's he's too much of a freak. Uh not to cast uh those sorts of labels on, on these characters. <laughs> but right. I mean the I'm just imagining a world you know, so it's like it's one thing in the X Men universe where you have people born with insane powers like Professor X who could essentially be a living god if he chose Mm -hmm. and others who do try to choose to be so like Apocalypse or even Magneto on a lesser extent oh wait a second I just I was just remembering he does have other powers he has psychic powers yeah remember like at the beginning when he before he like causes the crash with Cyclops he like reads Cyclops mind a little and says like oh uh, you know Dr. Prescott is on his mind okay yeah and then also Later, it's revealed that he's somehow uh, repressing Scott's power, so maybe he's using psychic powers to do yeah, so. Yeah, right. Sorry, I cut you off. No, it's fine. Uh, I just, like I said, it, it's like, there's so there's this world where you've got these people, that they look like people, mm-hmm. like Magneto, Cyclops, Professor X, and they've got extraordinary, insane powers. But then you've got people that are born with uh, crazy, abnormal appearance. Yeah. And... You know, not like some people look like animals, like Watchdog. Right. Some people, we saw this poison ivy type lady. I don't know. We've seen her right. in a bunch of episodes. It's like green. Yeah, her, bright green skin. Yeah. And some are other just weird alien looking humanoids, like this guy Tusk we see. Yeah. So, it you know, it is like 
if this really happened on Earth, which is the premise of X-Men, it's like the real world, but now people are being born with strange powers. Yeah. It's like so much variety to it. And I, I could really see it being so destabilizing as it is in the X-Men universe, where people are just, you know, there's the it's friends so of humanity. so of each other. Yes, and so, like, afraid. Yeah. Like, afraid more than anything. If, if there's people in your community now that are dog humans walking around, you know... And you don't know if they're using their powers for good or evil. Yeah, it, it's know? just they're... I, I mean, essentially, they're monsters, and... It's, it's, this world can barely deal with people with different skin colors. Yeah, right. Well, that's another thing. Like, it's an allegory, it could be an allegory for, like, another, like, dimension of the allegory for race, right? right? Because it's like, like, you, you talk about, like, um, the mutants that could just kind of pass for humans in the same way that, like, throughout the you know, decades, millennia, whatever, like people of different races can quote unquote pass for being Mm -hmm. from another race. Right. Yeah. That's that's been a story of human, humankind. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so, but it's, so I think it's interesting because it works on two levels. The first level, I think it works primarily for children. It's the X-Men is one of the greatest stories to teach children about race and hatred and tolerance and difference and, learning to be accepting of other people and mm-hmm. that uh, there's good and bad people. It's not about appearance or about, uh, you know, those types of things. It's about what they stand for, what's in their hearts. Right. And it's not from where, it's not about where they're from or whatever. So there's that level, which I think is the primary lesson and story of the As X-Men. it probably should be, yeah. Right. But then there's the, the more sci-fi level of it which right. is like this is a world of ultra racism right you know what i mean like like that's the premise too that it's like you think racism is bad like imagine a world where uh the differences are so stru- stark and so crazy that they present an existential threat to the humans yeah and i think in episodes like this more than a you get an idea of where the senator kelly's are coming from mm. uh not to sympathize with him but just the sense that society really is undergoing a ridiculous evolutionary change, mm-hmm. and how do how did the regular the normal humans react to this? Um, you know, it's sad. Yeah. Because it's obvious these people, yeah, they're mutants, they're Homo superior, but they're born of humans. So and it's random. Yeah. So it's it's just it's just it's strange that. I mean, it, it's totally accurate that humankind would react poorly to it, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you know, it's a point that's, like, never really made in the X-Men comics or TV shows or movies that much, uh, the fact that mutants come from humans. It's just, it's just, no one ever just says that outright. Like, I wish Professor X would say that in one line. I mean, he kind of does. I think in X-Men 2, he talks to that guy, Stryker. Mm-hmm. He says, this is your son, and you've transformed him into this, you know, creature yeah. for your evil deeds. But he, there should be, like, a, a another argument he makes. Like, more humanizing element of, like, you have parents, and yeah, they are humans. Yeah, exactly. And, like, and mutants can probably have children that are human, and vice versa. And, right. And so, I don't know. It's like, this is a problem we all have. It's so we can't... How could we make them go away if when people procreate, they could have a mutant? It's happening. You can't just, like, stop it unless you're just murdering babies. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, it's bizarre. Uh, and um, 
it's and this is just so this episode's good in the sense that it shows a sheltered community of mutants which you would think would be very real if mutants were real yeah there are people they would a lot of these mutants would corner themselves off in very remote private areas because <laughs> like like I said ultra racism it, it, it's it's almost like they'd ha- it's just it's almost like they'd have to mm. it, it, it's so it would be so hard for them to integrate into human society um, peacefully anyway. So uh, that's the the world of Skull Mesa, and like I said, Scott was there to visit this guy, Doctor Prescott, who uh, seems like a good guy, uh, but he now he's for some. But Watchdog has crash landed him in the desert, so Scott crash lands. He's okay. Uh, he loses his glasses, right? Which he realizes, but he, like his powers are not working. So it, you know. He has like a backup pair of yeah of glasses, which I really appreciated because it <laughs> you know what it would have been so I was waiting for the scene where he's he can see now right and he yeah. his powers are not working for some reason I was looking for the scene where he looks to find his glasses on the ground because we clearly see them skirt off somewhere and it's yeah. not like they got shattered but instead he just pulls another pair out of his jacket right which I thought was awesome I was like yeah, he's yes prepared. logic <laughs> <laughs> it's like if I was Cyclops I would have like seven pairs of glasses backup glasses in just my in pockets. pockets yeah I would never take a chance I'd be so and I think that's part of his character in the sense at least I remember from the early comics he's so paranoid about his powers that he always He's very careful. He doesn't let anyone get near his face. But also, he's very type A, so it makes sense that he would like have forethought and yeah. like be prepared for a situation like that. He's type A. He's also very uptight too. Uh, you know, Isn't wait, that is, is that the definition? I thought type A was more like uh, that was like alpha dog. That's not what alpha dog is. You know, no. alpha male or something. No. So no, what is something else? Okay. So what is type A? <laughs> What's the definition? <laughs> Like, when you talk about type A personality, it's, like, someone um, who's very, like, regimented and wants to, like, have control over things. Right, yeah. And, he is like, a control very freak. very organized and like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, it, uh, a, a, a golden strike for logic that he has backup glasses on him. <laughs> and he doesn't even need them here, but he just puts them on. I mean, it's a hot day. Uh, maybe he's worried that his powers will come back at any second. I think that would actually be more logical than anything. Yeah. Um, so... So uh, he is wandering around the, the desert. His communicator and his crash ship doesn't work. He's stranded. Uh, he's very angry. Mm-hmm. And out of nowhere, this jeep goes screeching by him, and he's trying to wave it down as a hitchhiker, and it blows by him for, like, 50 feet. But then it comes to a screeching halt and backs up violently to pick him up. Yeah. And actually, before even being invited in the jeep, he just hops in. This scene is so weird at first, Cyclops. Yeah. You know, because the guy driving, this, he introduces himself as Tanaka, right? Right. He's like, oh, sorry, I didn't see you there. And Cyclops is so, like, angry at him. He's so rude. Like, he just, like, yeah. jumps in and, like, I forget what he says. He jumps but... in the car. He's like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, ran me over. You didn't see me? He was just, he's just yelling at this guy who yeah. decided, like, maybe at first he didn't want to pick him up, but then decided to have a Out nice change of heart. the goodness of, heart. of his heart. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess, you know, the only place out there is Skull Island, is not Skull Island, um, Skull Mesa. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different fantasy so, universe. Right, exactly. He's like, oh, well, you know, you have business in Skull Mesa. And so, you know, he like, I guess he figures like uh, this guy must be friendly because, you know, if he's going there, maybe he's a mutant or whatever. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of weird vibes going on and Scott picks up on it right away. But instead, if, if I was in a town of weird vibes, I'd probably... Uh, immediately adapt the weirdness to and be kind of shy and quiet and scared. Scott is not like that. He's very 
uh, outwardly angry about the situation, <laughs> like yelling at the whole town. Why is everyone running around like scared prairie dogs? Yeah, I'm not going to stand for this, you know, kind of thing. And anyway, uh, but T- Tanaka takes him back to town. It turns out he's the town doctor, Doctor T- Daryl Tanaka, and he is also the coroner of the town. Yeah, because people need to have double duty here in Skull Mesa. And they check Scott out. He's fine. Um, and uh, and he's just acting weird. He's like waving keys in his window. It's like he's signaling to other people in the town. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a small town, and people can tell that Scott's an outsider. So they all start shuttering their doors and running inside. They're they all really run away afraid. From him. And so it's at this point we finally get to the heart of what weirdness is going on in town. Scott's just wandering around outside. And he runs into these three mutants, uh, the leader being this guy named Bill Braddock, who goes by the alternate name Solar. He's got a sidekick named Chet Lambert, I think his name is. I don't know if he's from the comics or not, or if they just invented him. Mm-hmm. And then he has Toad, uh, who we, I don't think we've yet seen in the show, one of the classic original Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, like the sidekick of Magneto in the yeah. comics, finally appearing in his Renaissance Fair outfit, his <laughs> right. orange Ridiculous. and gray. Yeah. Um, so they're like the three bad guys running this town, and they've got it's it's like a very like western style script going on here with yeah. the way they talk to Scott. They're like, "You're not wanted here, stranger. If I were <laughs> you, I'd best be getting out of town to another city." It's like, "Don't you think that's a good idea, Chet?" And Chet's like, "Yeah, good idea." <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's so weird. The classic stupid like western bullying, um, but it's funny, you know. But also, you know, it's like a cultural thing, like. You know, being from New York City and you don't, like, really, like, uh, interact with a lot of cowboys and stuff like that, you don't really think that that's real. You're like, oh, that's from the movies. But then, (laughs) like, I went to college in Tucson, Arizona, and there's, like, you know, like, the biggest clothing stores out there, like, Western clothing stores where people (laughs) buy, like, their cowboy boots and, like, spurs and, you know, cowboy hats. and Gap cowboy. It's, like, normal, you know, which, like, for me was total culture shock. I was like, oh, this is real? People still do this? Where are all your cowgirl outfits? I don't see them in the closet. Well, I didn't shop there. I don't have any cows. Oh, I see. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I'm no just saying, it's rustle. like, you know, Scott, like, waltzes into this town, and uh, this is what's going on there, you know? Well, these are strange... got to face an alternate uh, way of living. I guess. Uh, <laughs> these are, this is the weirdest group of cowboys I've ever seen, because one of them looks like a cowboy, Chet Lambert. Chet, yeah. He looks kind of like Indiana Jones with the hat and the jeans. Right, except that he can, like, fade in and out. That's his power. Yeah, it seems like he's got Kitty Pride powers. Uh-huh. He, um, and uh, Bill Braddock, who is the leader, is dressed ridiculously. Yes. He's got a trench coat, but underneath that, he's got, like, a yellow and red body spandex with, like, super a red... villain outfit. Red, except, like, like, diaper thong. Yeah. And, uh, and a weird symbol on his chest and a, a golden pendant with a red ruby as a I headband. I mean, all of that wouldn't be that crazy. It's, like, not that crazy compared to Magneto's outfit or yeah. anything like that. What makes it odd is that, like, on top of it, he has, like, the cowboy coat. And, or, like, the gambit jacket. And, um, like, a cowboy hat. Does he have a... I don't think he has a hat. I think he's got the, the, the gold... Oh, yeah, Chet has the hat. Yeah, Chet has the hat. Yeah. And then, like we said, Toad's sitting there in his classic Renaissance Fair costume from the 1960s comics. Right. It's, it's all very... It's, like, kind of mismatched, but... Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, I do... I mean, this is something I appreciate about the cartoon. They unapologetically put all the mutant characters in their mutant costumes more often than not. They do have alternate regular clothes. Yeah. But a lot of the, like, miscellaneous mutant characters we see in this episode, too, uh-huh. they're wearing their action figure toy outfit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, them in their battle gear. 
I also like seeing Toad's powers in this episode. He's a lot more powerful than I think he's portrayed in the movies. You know, in the movies you see him kind of like he can like stick to walls and ceilings. He can hop he can, around. Like, use obviously. his tongue to like grab stuff yeah. and maybe like spit some venom, venom or something. He spits it in Jean Grey's face in X Men One. But like he see he's like kind of useless in in the movie incarnation of him. Well, sort of. Like, he's like he's an toned athletic. Down. Yeah, okay, go on. What are you saying about this version of Toad? I was impressed with his powers in this version of Toad. You know, he has, like, different types of venom that he makes and, like, spreads on people. Yeah, yeah. And... They have different hallucinogenic powers and Yeah, things. like, it was kind of cool. Well, he's gross. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like the classic Toad outfit that Jack Kirby originally drew for him, which he put him in some weird Renaissance fair garb. Uh-huh. I don't get, like, what that's about. <laughs> he's, like, some kind of, like, uh... What's it like? Well, who were those ancient Renaissance um, jo- jesters? Like the, yeah, is the that minstrels. The min- well, was it a minstrel or a jester or something? Anyway, I don't the know. Minstrels what- sing, the jesters tell jokes, right? So you think he's in a more of a minstrel, a minstrel outfit than a jester outfit? I guess because he doesn't <laughs> have the hat with the triangles. Right? Yeah, he's more of a minstrel. You're right. It's something bizarre. I don't know. I, what I don't I'm know. talking about really. I don't know. I mean, like it seems like you know my impression of Toad was, well, Magneto is a character that is of Eastern European origin mm-hmm. or European origin let's just say I mean t- eventually they say it's Poland yeah but uh, you know when he first appears you don't really know Toad he seems like he picked up Toad from there as well like somewhere in Romania or uh-huh. Latvia or something like, I, I'm not sure but maybe he's English I don't, I'm not even sure about that either you know I don't know the backstory on Toad he might be a British mutant okay uh, but anyway uh, my he talks like an American well in this episode he's got like yeah, it's it's kind of like a gravelly bad guy voice. Yeah. I, I wouldn't ascribe it to American exactly. Oh, I guess I wasn't paying attention that much. Yeah, he doesn't have many lines. He just says, like, one or two things really quickly. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, I think Toad... It, Toad was, like, one of those just joke characters mm-hmm. where he's just a sniveling sidekick to Magneto who's kind of stupid in a way. Yeah. And Magneto just... It's almost like he's like a dog where Magneto has like a roll, rolled up newspaper and beats him over the head with it right. kind of relationship. So, and he's like kind of clueless half the time, but... Right. And here he's playing that same part except to Solar instead of Magneto. But is he even... I, he doesn't even seem... He doesn't seem that dumb, though. That's true. He doesn't have enough lines to... to you don't get an idea of what his character trait is. But he's like the cackling sidekick. Yeah, villain. he is. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, more than anything, it's just good to see Toad in the, in the X-Men animated TV show uh-huh. than anything, because he's a classic character. Okay, so they threaten Scott. They say he should leave town. Scott obviously does not uh, back down from that sort of threatening. So he wanders off. It seems like he steals Dr. Tanaka's Jeep at some point. <laughs> yeah, and, he borrows it. Yeah, I think he drives to where uh, uh, Dr. Prescott's house is supposed to be, and he discovers that... He's been kidnapped, and it's. I think it's at this point that uh, the the three bad guys they capture Scott, they wrap him up in Toad slime, mm-hmm. and they take him to where Doctor Prescott is. Um, they explain that uh, they show him like with some other people glued to the wall with Toad's goop, and they they say that uh, Toad has provided a special type of goop called uh, Curare. It's or it's like curare. I'm not sure if that's a real thing in reality or not. I just wrote it down. No uh, idea. You know, yeah, me neither. I don't even know how to spell it. But he says it's it's got the properties of curare, which puts uh, people in suspended animation, and they make sure it's like he'll be fine. He's just in suspended animation. Uh-huh. And, uh, let me ask this dumb question, and 
I know we don't have to, we don't have to go into it that much because I don't think it's real. But it's suspended animation; it's not a real thing, right? <laughs> a coma. I mean, okay, a coma. Right? Like right. there's such a thing as a medically induced coma, right? So. But that's not the same as suspended animation. I mean, no, I guess not, because, like, you're still aging, your hair grows and stuff. Right. Oh, okay, because the suspended animation's, like, you're frozen in time. I guess. Yeah, it's a sci-fi thing. That's all I'm asking. It's a total sci-fi concept, right? (laughs) Suspended animation. I just wanted to check to make sure that's not, like, somehow real. (laughs) Okay, so they're in suspended animation. Um, At this point, they, like, weirdly let Scott go. I guess they threaten. They're like, okay, we're going to kill you in front of everybody at noon tomorrow. And, uh... Which I thought was a bold choice by the villains. You've got him captured already. What are you waiting for? Uh, yeah, right. Like, uh, and they, oh, and they also show them their evil scheme. So, Doctor Prescott had a secret, and it was that he, he the whole town was sitting on top of a gold mine. Right. And so, uh, right now, Solar has all the mutants in the town mining for gold. This is one of those like villain exposition things that just doesn't make sense in the real world. Yeah. Why would he tell Scott this? It's Seems like, like very valuable information. Yeah. And, and Scott like, keeps warning him. Like, like, I have powerful friends. If you kill me or something happens to me, they'll follow you to the ends of the earth. Yeah. And Braddock's like, I'm gonna have more gold uh, to fill, so I can fill a palace. I'll be able to... Rich men can buy armies with that kind of gold. Yeah. It's like, okay. <laughs> right. Um... I don't know. That was, you're right. It's a, it's pretty hokey, uh-huh. but this is like I guess this episode. It's a, it's it's a it's a take on a classic western, more yeah. or less. Yeah. And speaking of which, uh, we just saw a classic western, like the most famous Gary Cooper movie. I can't remember what it was called. Was now. it called High Noon? Oh, was it High Noon? I might have been called High Noon. I remember it's Gary yeah. Cooper, and the whole point of High Noon is that. Uh, we think it's high noon. Gary Cooper's wandering around this town because some villains are coming into the, the town, and no one wants to help him stop them. Right. Like, no one wants to form a posse or arm themselves. They just want to be left alone, and Gary Cooper goes to, like, everyone in the town and tries to convince them, and when no one helps, he just decides to take them on all by himself. Right. Because he, he stands up for what's right. So there's an element to... There's, yeah, Cyclops does exactly that. He's Gary he, Cooper, He's, yeah. like, uh, you know, set free to wander around until, like, the next day... At noon, right, and like he's going, going door in, to door, like, soliciting help wherever he can, and everyone's saying no. Like, right, and it's pretty sad. He yeah. meets this one guy named Tusk, who's pretty gross. He's this barrel-chested monster mutant uh, with a lot of horns. Well, yeah, tusks, spikes. Guess, yeah, spikes him. coming out of him, and he's just working on like an engine in his garage. He's like, listen, I want to help, but I've got a wife and kids. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like, all the mutants are really, like, pleasantly down-to-earth and just want to live normal lives. They're uh, too afraid to fight, despite the fact that they look very overpowered. Yeah. Like, there's one mutant that can turn his arms into rockets. Mm-hmm. And I spent a good ten minutes before we started recording this podcast trying to look up what his name is. I took typed in every variation uh, of what... And I had this toy as a kid. I just can't remember this character's name. It might have been called Bazooka or Cannon something. It's not Cannonball. That's a different mutant. Uh-huh. But uh, a rocket man. Maybe someone in the Facebook group. They knows. will. Someone yeah. definitely knows. He's a white skinned mutant that can transform his arms into like three like layered bazookas okay. and shoot missiles out of them. All right. So if he's you can help there. Us out, let us know. Yeah. Please. <laughs> um, so no one. Everyone's too afraid to help. Uh, so the uh, oh, and we also notice there's some Morlocks living in the town. The Morlocks yeah, really get around. They really do. They don't like living in the sewers forever. There's a lot of them like show up in different cities. They, they're really trying to leave. Mm-hmm. And so we see a few of our old pals. Like I don't know their names, but we see them. Right. Um. It, it's they're just I I just think that they're just animated background filler for mm-hmm. whenever you see a mutant community. They always throw in some Morlocks. Yeah, for good measure. <laughs> right. Um. So. Uh, the next day comes around. Scott's easily captured again. 
they goo him up and they bring him to the town center and they they staple him well they don't staple him they they stick him to an <laughs> enormous golden statue that Bill Braddock has had built of himself right which is insane and uh, and they say okay this is what happens to strangers and traitors or anyone who opposes us in this town we're gonna kill him now and at this point the town finally starts fighting back because oh Scott gives a speech he says listen you don't have to take this you know we could all fight together uh, Doctor Prescott is a man of good. Uh, you know, we have to save him, etc. So they all stick up. We see the test guy go to action. His power was, like, so out of left field. It was disturbing. Yeah. Like, a, a little mini tusk man comes out of his back and jumps on the guy's head. I know. I was wondering if, like, he was talking about his wife and kids right. before. I was like, is that his kid? Yeah, is that his son? That's <laughs> bizarre, right? Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know anything about Tusk. Uh, it was just bizarre. Oh, in the midst of this fight, Tanaka is a mutant, too. He's got the power of healing. And so he touches Scott's face and uh, gives him his optic blast back, mm-hmm. which is helpful. I like the power that they show of Tanaka. His hand turns, like, x-ray black with a red glow. Yeah. And you see his bones, it's and really that's cool. how it works on people. And it seems like he could just heal anything. Yeah, yeah, because he heals someone else later, too. Yeah. He heals Dr. Prescott, or brings him out of suspended animation. And he says, like, oh, this will counteract the effect Watchdog has done on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... Um, they and at this point with Scott with his powers he just blows all these guys away pretty easily and the town is saved and Watchdog uh, you know he switches sides too and he contacts the X-Men to come and rescue Scott so the day is saved Dr. Prescott's fine Scott gives him the weird crystal ornament that was a gift to him uh, this is like that's what the whole point of this episode was essentially Scott just visit this guy and give him an, a, a gift from Professor X I think Right, like, oh no, no, I, I know Scott mentions he was invited. Yeah, so it's a reuni- reunion of sorts. Right, I don't know why Professor X isn't going or the other X Men aren't there, but whatever. Well, Scott grew up with this guy more or less, and the other X Men didn't, right? Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're right. They have like a close personal relationship, and... but they show Professor X seems to know him. So, and the statue was from, uh, like other like that mutant girl. Yeah, that can make the crystally things. Right, right. Yeah. seemingly we were not. It looks like uh, right, the looks same like, material that right. she could create, yeah. So, and then uh, Tusk knocks over the golden statue. Uh, everyone cheers, and Dr. Prescott asks Scott if he li- still likes ice cream as they walk into the desert. Because uh, before, they showed a flashback of Scott in the orphanage, and um, he was playing baseball with some friends, and he destroyed the baseball with his eyes, mm. and he's going to get beat up, and Dr. Prescott saved him and offered him ice cream. So, right. ice cream in the end for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, yeah, I mean, another, like, bizarre Cyclops solo episode. Uh, I think I think it was really good. Like, I, I, I was not, I was entertained. Yeah, me too. And I think it's just an example of how this show is really good at doing these individual character studies. Uh-huh. There's so much deep character to mine with all these people. And this show gets to it, you know? It's yeah. like, they don't really have any other... They don't always have an epic plot to show with the X-Men. So why not just do some character building? Yeah, and I like the high noon... Of like sequence right. following that was cool. Yeah, yeah, it's and, they're playing on classic tropes. I mean, it's what Marvel yeah. does best. They yeah. they they take from classic things and they reappropriate them. Mm-hmm. And uh, the it's just a you know, it's it's like it's like any great science fiction series. It has such a great premise that it can lend itself to any genre, mm. much like uh, Star Trek. Yeah. Where it, the, the premise is so good, it doesn't always have to be about what it, the Federation is doing right. on it's a mission. Right, sci-fi, but they take little jaunts into, like... Westerns and comedy and... Romance and, right. like, all different stuff. Yeah, weird philosophical things. and Right, so similar to that, um, 
an example of how strong the show is. Yeah. So, uh, good episode. We're, I think we only got two left in season four. All right. 17 I think, or so episodes in season four. I'm not quite sure in the count. But um, coming uh, hard and fast at the end of the, probably the last good season. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, I don't know. Um, that's exciting. Uh, we have some plans coming up for season five. Uh, stay tuned for that. Some fan-friendly plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what else do I want? You know, we still have to get some more movies. Yeah. We'll have to be talking about all the other X-Men movies before we're finished up here and then see what the future holds. Um, yeah, but that's all I got for this episode. Any final words? Uh, let's go get some ice cream. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, <laughs> so, but before we do that, uh, let me uh, plug my Twitter, at Willie Simpson. Follow me there. Uh, join the Facebook group. That's the most important thing. Uh, X-Men Test Podcast, the Facebook group. Just yep. search it out. Uh, uh People join all the time. It's a nice little community. Mm-hmm. Uh, we chat about all all and anything X-Men related. This week I posted the actress who plays Storm, the new young actress, Alexandra Ship, who I yeah. really like, actually. Yeah. She was saying that they need a Storm spinoff movie. Right. And I totally agree. I, I would <laughs> love to see a Storm solo movie. Yeah, that would be awesome. They, they've Storm has been done so poorly by the movies and I like Halle Berry sort of and, I mean I like I mean, her as an actress right we've been there yeah I, I like this new character Alexandra Ship, but still like even in the new movie she was in in Apocalypse it wasn't enough Storm and it wasn't I don't know like Storm's got so much amazing backstory and depth and yeah like I'm with wonderment her. she yeah. has my vote yeah, I mean, there should be a Storm trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, originally, I wanted to see Rogue and Storm, the movie. Yeah. I like their friendship. That would be cool. I don't know if we're ever going to get that, because that's more of an X-Men animated series thing, yeah. I think. But uh, anyway, yeah, I, so I want to see a Storm movie. Um, and who knows? We might get it one day. Uh, They're we, we, we a got, lot, so... We got to see how the rights all land, but <laughs> let's not talk about that either. Okay, so, uh, oh, and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you rate and review podcasts and uh, help us spread the word. So that is the last thing I have to say about secrets not long buried. Strange <laughs> title, right? Uh, any final, final thoughts, Sonia? Uh, no, that's it. Okay, goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>